0: of answering questions like, oh yes, thank you, I forgot. So of answering questions like, have you wondered who God is beyond what we want from him, beyond what he has done, beyond the various covenants of the Old and the New Testament, beyond the people he called, beyond what he has for you, beyond what he has given you. And one of the reasons why I think this teaching is so important especially at the stage we're at right now is because if we understand the life of God, then we will recognize that this is the life that he's trying to give us. I wanna say that again. If we can understand the life of God, then we will recognize that his life is the life he's trying to give us or that he has given us. So very important that we get this part. God's life is the life he wants to give us. There are aspects of him that he has given to us so that we can emulate who he is, who he is. So keep that in your heart and know that that is the focus of what we're doing When you're talking about things like the life of God, you're really causing us to look, we're really causing one another to look beyond our our just naturally intrinsically selfish ways. Because mostly when people teach about faithfulness, they teach about love, it's all about how much God loves us, how much God has done for us. And all of those things are important. All of those things are accurate. All of those things are necessary, but there is another side to this. It's that side where we always want to see how God reveals himself to us in his own own way so that we can see who he is, so that we can see him. So today we're going to talk about an aspect of, of the life of God, his faithfulness. We're going to look at how faithful he is and how he sees himself in that faithfulness and what that faithfulness means to us. So I'm going to try my best not to think about how faithful he's been to me in this moment, but I want to see by looking at at some scriptures, walking through some truths, how God's faithfulness reveals his life, how his faithfulness reveals who he is. And how it propels the ministry that God has. God's ministry is us. And so one way of understanding how to do ministry, listen, is looking at how God ministers to us. That's one of the best ways, how Jesus ministers to us. God doesn't minister to us just by doing things and calling us to meetings He ministers to us by interacting with our lives. I mean, he interacts in every area of our lives. Of course, we don't have that kind of access for one another necessarily, but when it comes to God, God is involved in your marriage. He's involved in your own thought life. He's involved in your, um, the way you treat your body, he's involved in your education, he's involved in your entertainment, he's involved, I mean, his involvement is not just Sunday morning worship, it's not just him showing up to tell you what he said, it's not just him giving you a prophetic word. Ministry to God is your whole life. It's like parenting to him. It's like I, it's like saying he is invested in causing you to be your best self. That's what ministry is like to God. I mean, it is, so it's very different from what most people do. I can say in my own life that I have experienced real ministry. My former pastor um, was, I mean, it was real ministry. It wasn't just come to come to service Sunday, get what you need. I had, he had access to my heart. He could say, Teresa, you need to be here Sunday. And Teresa showed up. He would say, Teresa, listen, we're going out to eat Friday night. Me and my wife, can you and your husband join us? We'd show up. It was, it was that, It wasn't just, oh man, y'all, I got this event coming up. Let's get everybody you can to come. And then they go home and there was no interaction ever again. That's a form of ministry. That's a form of outreach. But we have to get to a point where we understand that there's an investment that we're called to, whether we're in service and helping people build or whether we're in a place where we're lifting people up as they build. The apostolic is the lifter up part of the ministry. It's the one that comes under and gives somebody a shoulder to put a foot on. That's the apostolic aspect of it. And so ministry service, and that's what God gives us. God is like, everything that I have is yours. If you're invested, if you are invested, So the more you are invested in the things of the Lord, the more access and the more depth comes to the ministry that he gives us. And it's not because he's picking and choosing people. He's meeting us by our level of thirst. He's meeting us by our level of hunger. He's meeting us by our level of interest. Little interest, little return. Great investment, great return. I mean, so we have to see that, you know, it's just profound when we're able to see God from this perspective. So we're going to go pretty much directly into um, some scriptures. I'm not even after this slide. We're just going to do scriptures from this point on. I just want to remind you that God is omnibenevolent. He's all giving all the time. So his faithfulness As we're going to talk about today, his faithfulness is all giving all the time and it's all good. And one of our challenges is how much like him am I in the giving of my time, the giving of my resources, in the giving of my um, own will concerning things in my ministry that I am doing toward other people? Are people only paying for your stuff? Is that all they do when they encounter you is have to do a transaction? Is that the extent of your ministry? then if it is and I mean this with the love of God you need to kind of evaluate where you're at and you need to purge your soul of the things of the world that have been um, placed before you that have come become mashed up and confused in what ministry is. Because don't call it ministry if all it is is a transaction. Ministry has transactions, but ministry is really supposed to be transformational, selfless, all giving, all good. If all I did was the online school of the scribe, I would never call myself an apostle if that's all I did. Never. I wouldn't dare. That's just, you know, a benefit of what I do outside of that. But that's not who I am. So just really be in that place. A lot of people won't like this teaching. Religion is going to pop up and try to convince them that what they're doing is right. Go for it. Believe that if you want to. But that is not what the word teaches. It's not. That's what people teach. And that's how people make themselves feel good with prostituting the gospel, but it is not what the gospel teaches, you know? So, so let's be truthful with that and let's meet God where he is not where we are. So God is also omniscient. He is all knowing. He is all knowing. In other words, at at some point in the life that Teresa is living I have to understand that while things are hidden to us, they're not hidden to God. There's no missing person that God doesn't know where they are. There's no darkness happening in the earth that he has not, is not aware of. There, I mean, there is nothing secret to God. Sometimes when we say things like, uh, whatever is done in the darkness will brought, be brought into the light, that's for us. Those are things we don't know. But listen, it is known to God. In the life of God, nothing is hidden. God isn't living in a mystery realm in his own life. God is not, I mean, there's nothing that's a mystery to God. It's a mystery to us, but it's not a mystery to him. He is the creator of mysteries. He is the creator of mysteries. Let's not forget that. He is the one that's being uncovered and being found in the light. We don't even know ourselves completely, but he does. He does. So so it's those little things that we have to come into understanding of about him. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. This is huge because we have to understand that God is not fighting the devil anymore. We might be struggling in the earth realm with the powers and principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness, rulers. We're dealing with all of that. But God, the, he is not at war with the enemy. He has won. He is more powerful than the devil. He is more powerful than any darkness. In fact, he defeated it with Jesus Christ. It's so very difficult for believers to understand this and enter into the light. And I'm gonna keep teaching it no matter how mad people get with me, but there has to be a point where we realize God is not in trouble. Jesus is not in trouble. The kingdom cannot be lost. Oh, you guys are kind of quiet today. But I want you to know that the kingdom cannot be lost. God cannot lose. Nothing God created and has established can go missing in action. Nothing. Oh, if we could just be convinced. If we could just be convinced of this. Oh, it would change our lives so much even our, our disasters, things that happen to us that are horrible, even when death comes, God has still won. He's still won. God is omnificient. He's all creative. Omnificent. I'm sorry. Omnificent. All creative. All creative. All, 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 all. There are no new ideas because all the great ideas are from God. Anything that you're creating is simply because God already thought of it in the beginning anyway. So it's not like it's a surprise to God because it's not. These things are a surprise to us, but we come from the all Created. So there's no wonder we have cars that, that are trying to fly and hover now. No, There's no wonder we can send rockets off in this space and, and that we can come up with medicine and heart transplants. I mean, my goodness, he's an omnificent God. And we just have aspects of that in the earth realm today. And he's living that life through us. The God life comes through us all the time. And we must remember this. And we're only walking out that, that, He has already walked out in us, prophesied, declared, decreed, And I believe God sits and he just looks just like he did on the seventh day. And he says, look at what they're doing. It's so good. They're tapping into my ideas and my inventions. They're tapping into these things that they are patenting. They're tapping into all of this. And it's me. And they're doing it in the earth. He's omnipresent. Just like he's all knowing, he's omnipresent everywhere, all the time. He is the light in the darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. He is everything, everywhere, all the time, and he knows everything about everything. Everything. So the life of God is not missing. Anything. The life of God is not missing anything and is demonstrating everything. If we can, for one moment, take our eyes off of ourselves and look at the life that God lives. Exactly. In him, we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. And that's the truth. It doesn't feel like it in the earth because our earth life is very difficult. It's very difficult. And and when I look at God's faithfulness, I look at the fact that the promises that he made us scripturally, they don't fail. It's all the other stuff that we build around it and we put our expectations on things he never really promised and when they fall apart we get discouraged not understanding that that we interpret that the right way because god's promises don't fail so in the life of god there are promises we probably won't get to those this time but there are promises oh my god in the life of god there are promises that absolutely cannot fail, cannot fail. One of the things the Lord is teaching me right now is how to bear up the promises, the guarantees that cannot fail with some of the stuff that has been prophesied to me. Some of the things that I have thought I heard God say myself and line those things up and say how much of this is really you, God, because those things I'm wondering if they even line up with your intention. And I'm just saying over the years, not everything. And some of you know what I mean when I say that, you know, somebody's promised you're going to meet such and such one day and they're going to take you here and you're going to be doing this, you know, those kinds of things. <laughs> so that's what I'm talking about, as opposed to the promises that the lord says you shall live and not die you know where he says that he he has given you his peace the things that are guaranteed that we need to spend more time focusing on versus the things in the world that we want to happen so we need to talk about that by looking at the life of god at some point as well those things exactly that are eternal that don't change that don't shift so here we go. We're going to take a look at a few scriptures and I pray that I can walk through these just based on how God has um, shared them with me today. And uh, don't worry, I'm not going to re- re- read all of this. I'm going to give you some background real quick. So th- this, this passage of scripture, Exodus 34, and we're going to look at this. This is when, so if you know this story, Moses had been given um, the law, Jesus, and what God had written um, on these tablets of stone, the laws that he gave them, but we know Moses broke them. So after Moses broke them out of a a, a moment of anger, we see him back here um, on Mount Sinai having to redo those tablets again. He And the Lord's like, look, this time, Moses, I'm not writing them again. You're going to have to do it. I'm going to have you come up here. You're going to chisel out two stone tablets, just like the first ones. And I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning, Moses, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself To me there on top of the mountain, no one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain, not even the flocks and the herds may gaze in front of the mountain. So the Lord was expecting Moses to, to make sure that he understood and gave the people instructions like don't come up here don't let your wild animals come up here no cats no dogs you know just leave all of that down there because we have something sacred we're going to do and i need your total undivided attention so we know all of that occurred because by the time we get to verse four Moses has chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning. So he's already made those preparations. And I just want to say that I loved reading about um, verse four and during research on that. When I was studying about the scribe, I learned that those two stone tablets were actually, um, oh my goodness. I'm trying to think of, of the it was sapphire, I believe. I'm, I'm, I'm. I gotta go back and look. It's been a while since I've taught on that, but it was sapphire stone that they believe he chiseled, our had and that they had the ability back then, not these thick, giant stone tablets, because Moses had to do this in a night. I want you all to know that he had to have something stored up that could be written on that he could just carve out a little bit more in order to make that make that available and to then pick up and carry with him up there as if it was sheets of paper so I often think about that because the pictures I grew up seeing um, with uh, Moses. <laughs> There were these heavy stone tablets so big. I mean, I doubt he carried those things up a mountain and neither does the Jewish people um, who are the original stewards of this text. They don't believe it was that either. They believe it was precious stone because God does everything extravagantly. And they believe it had been carved out into thin sheets that Moses was able to carry like we carry our paper and pen today up there where God could um, speak to him. So that's what's happening here. And the Lord says, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, and this is the passage of scripture I want to look at the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness rebellion, and sin. Listen, oh my goodness. And he passed in front of Moses. Listen, God is in charge of this situation. I want you to just imagine for a moment, forget Moses. This is the Lord. So the Lord is giving um, this, this son that he's chosen this assignment. He said, listen, you broke the first tablet, but I am desperate for my people to get a hold of the law that I have given you. Oh my goodness. I am desperate for that. And I am going to, since Moses, I'm going to teach you a lesson. You broke it. I didn't tell you to break those tablets. Now you got to make the paper. You got to get the chisel together because I wrote the first one with my finger. I did all the work for you, but not this time. I'm sending you back up here with me. And now you're going to have to stay with me until it's done. And I need you to be ready in the morning, and then you come up on Mount Sinai, you present yourself to you present yourself to me, Moses. You present yourself to me. I'm sure Moses understood what that meant, but God had a way that He wanted Moses to present himself on that mountain. Moses is being corrected as much as he's being called. He's being called and corrected at the same time. And here you have, no one is to come with you or be seen anywhere in that secret place on that mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze here. God wanted intimate time with no one but Moses. This is profound to me because God was the same way with Adam in the garden. He came in the cool of the day. Now, this is not the same situation, but I want us to see that when God meets us, he is not meeting us in a crowd. He's meeting us one-on-one because he has something to say. <laughs> oh, there's a... um. Poet, she a spoken word artist. I don't know if she's here, but she has this spoken word she wrote. Um, and it talks, but I've got something to say. And I wish, I don't know if she's here, but if she is, it would be nice to listen to that or have her share it this morning. But I want you to see this. I'm just giving you a picture of what's taking place. Now, here's Moses. I want you to just see this in your in your mind. When it's not about Moses, but I want you to see this. So just imagine that as this plays out. So Moses is up all night chiseling this and that, trying to get them perfect. He's probably thinking about how he broke the first tablets. And look, look, if I hadn't broke the first tablets, I wouldn't be having to, do... you, don't, you know, I'm thinking about what I might be thinking, right? So if God told me to redo something or the Lord told me, hey, Teresa, I need you to um, save and print out all these files in the morning, look. So don't do that. Do that tonight. Don't wait till in the morning. But overnight, my computer died. And now I'm blaming the devil. But last night, God told me to print them all out and I chose not to. But then this morning, my computer's stuck and I'm rebuking the devil when really it's my fault. And the devil has nothing to do with it, right? So it's kind of that same situation that Moses is in. You set this up so that you're gonna be right here. So, so there, is, there is Moses. Now just look at this for a minute. So the scripture says, then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses. So the Lord is right there with Moses, right? He's right there beside him, not over him, not under him. He's standing side by side with Moses. But the first thing he says is this. The first thing he gives him is this profound declaration. Oh, my God. He says the Lord. God God says this. He passed in front of him. He was beside him. Then while he's walking by him, as he's passing him, he hears the Lord say, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. You're about to give Moses the law, God. And we all know what those laws look like. We all know how hard life was to serve God in the old covenant before the spirit indwelled men. While men had to do blood walks and sacrifice sacrifice animals and, and build altars and burn offerings and serve feasts. All of this is going on just to serve him. But here he is. The first thing he says is, I am compassionate and gracious. I am slow to anger. I am abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Before he gave him the law, the Lord declared, who he was and his faithfulness to mankind. Love was his first declaration before the law. God has always been a God of love, He's always been a God that corrects and disciplines not to the destruction because you are so mean and nasty, but he corrects to the point of hope that you will return. This is, this is the beauty of this passage. God's correction is not unto punishment as many think, but is unto turning and is unto love. If we look at God through the right eyes and not the eyes of men, everything has been about redirection, even the hard things, even the destructive things, which is why we needed a new covenant. But listen to what happened to Moses as the Lord passed by and declared, I'm just closing my eyes and I'm thinking of the Lord passing by me. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am compassionate and gracious. I am slow to anger. I am abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness. I mean, he is still saying that to us every single day. This, the life of God. What is the life of God? How does God live? God lives full of compassion and grace. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. He lives to do this. Oh my goodness. He lives to do this. As he passed by, all Moses could do was bow. <laughs> All Moses could do was bow to the ground at once. No hesitation, drop, I worship you, God. I understand, I get it, I'm sorry. So whatever happened between the breaking of those tablets, being rebuked by God, carving out those um, sapphire stones so he could write on uh, uh, or engrave on, and to this point, you can see a broken Moses rise because his attitude wasn't right. <laughs> Just like us. He, God was like, Moses, look, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Look, in other words, Moses, I'm showing compassion on you because you broke my law. You got mad and you broke it. But I'm slow to anger, Moses. I'm abounding in love and faithfulness, but you're going to learn something from this. I'm maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Oh, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children. You, we know that that is, does not apply. People still use that, but it does not apply. God changed his mind. Go listen to my teaching on, um, Generational curses, this applies to this too. I know this is talking about punishment, but you need to read, listen to that teaching on generational curses, because this is a principle of that as well. We have Jesus now, but even before Jesus, The Lord dealt with this one. I probably need to teach that. But I want you to see here that Moses bowed to the ground at once and he worshiped. Moses was broken. He was in that place of humility. He needed to be because he was aware of the Lord's faithfulness. God has always been faithful with his compassion. He's always been faithful with his grace. He's always been faithful with being slow to anger. He's always been faithful with his love. He's always been faithful with the things he has promised and the things he has said. And he's always been faithful in maintaining his love to everyone. And he's always been faithful to forgiving wickedness. He's always been faithful to forgiving rebellion. He's always been faithful to forgiving sin. And I'm bold enough to say that is still true right now. Right now, whatever, whoever you look at and you've condemned to hell or we've condemned to hell, whatever we've thought, the, wh- whoever's making us mad in this moment, this is still true. It's still true. Oh my goodness, it's true. Deuteronomy 7 and 9, he says this. Therefore, know that the Lord, your God, he is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant. This is important because we expect God to be faithful to a whole lot of stuff. But I'm about to tell you something. The only thing he is faithful to is his covenant. Some of you are going to really understand that in this season of your life. We expect him to be faithful to our whims, to our things. We, we just think he's going to be faithful to. But the only thing he promised us was being faithful to the covenant he made to us. What we, it's in his life. He has never failed because the only thing that he declared he would be faithful to us concerning is his covenant. Please hold on to that. Please think about that for a minute. And I'm going to ask you, what is it that you think God should be faithful to you concerning? Because a lot of things that we think he is faithful to us about, we get disillusioned because they don't happen and they don't come to pass. But the thing is, the only thing he guaranteed that was infallible was the covenant he made with us. Not the covenant we think he made with us about the man we fell in love with around the corner or the woman we think we like. And that's not the covenant he's talking about. While he may have given you a sure word, Sure, words can shift and change, but his covenant does not. His faithfulness in the life of God, his faithfulness is based on his covenant, not the random word the prophet gave. That can change. That can shift based on your decision, based on your attitude, based on what someone else does or do not do. Those things will change. But what does not change is are the eternal principles of his covenant. Before I move forward, I just want to make sure you can understand that with me. Um, We, you know, prophetic words are powerful. Please know that I'm not talking against them. But we as people can sometimes put more weight on a prophecy that can change that is conditional. Prophecy is conditional. A lot of personal prophecy is conditional. So when we understand that, then we won't be so crushed and so disappointed. God, you told me you were gonna save so and so and so. They never got saved. They never live. That's not God's fault, right? If people don't choose Him, what can God do? <laughs> He's not a God of force, right? He won't force Teresa to love him. I have to choose that. He won't force Teresa to read the word. He won't, you know, one of the craziest things is meeting prophets that don't read the Bible and that don't have accountability, that don't listen to teachings, that don't have a community. It's a scary thing. How can you hear God? And you're not even studying who he is. You don't even understand his life. You're just listening to the wind. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. One of the thing, one of the reasons why I, you know, in all my years in ministry, I can count, I have, I have ordained less than 10 people. Yes, I have in 20 years of ministry over 20 years of ministry now. I'm too afraid to put my hands on people because if they're not in relationship with you, if you're not knowing how they're eating, if you're not understanding how they move and how they interact with people, if you don't know what they're studying and reading, I know prophets that read the books of other people more than they read the Bible. Oh, that's a scary thing. Scary. But you got a word for me. No, you keep that false prophecy over there on that side of the room. Nope. Won't receive it. But anyway, people aren't teaching. They're teaching. Let me teach you how to prophesy. And no, start with the word. Oh, my God. Here we have the Lord saying, therefore, know that the Lord, your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy, who keeps covenant and who keeps mercy, covenant and mercy, covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Oh, those who love him, not just the word love, because love to God means obedience. It doesn't mean feelings and emotions. Covenant to God is to do what he says. Loving him is to obey him. But hey, what do I know? (laughs) Everybody has their own Bible these days. But I I just want you to see this because in the life of God, listen, in the life of God, faithfulness is everything. God cannot go back on his word because he's faithful. God will not change his mind concerning certain things because he spoke it into existence and he's faithful. God has made promises and he is faithful to those promises. We cannot lose our way by misunderstanding that. I want to show you something. We're we're not far off. I know every time I say that, it seems like I got an hour to go. But this time I promise I am not going to take that long. I just want you to listen to this. Just, Just listen. We're going to read from the new King James version of the Bible. I want you to see this. I know I'm in the Old Testament a lot, but I'm there because the examples are so good. I mean, you can't buy examples like this. (laughs) You can only get, you know, so that's why we're spending so much time in the old covenant because um, these examples are good. So this, this is Ezekiel and, you know, he was that over the top prophet. We have people who claim that today, but they don't even live half as holy as Ezekiel. So here we go. Ezekiel 16. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. Now, I want to just say that we choose some interesting words in our English language. But all the Lord is saying here is, listen, I want them to remember what they've done to me. Let's see this a little different. This is because most of them religion, look at what they did. Oh, the devil rebuke you. You're gonna burn. So this is the, the pretty much the attitude that people think with this passage of scripture and others like it. But I want you to hear what God could possibly be considering. He's saying to Ezekiel, He's saying, Ezekiel, oh my goodness. Remind them of what they've done. In other words, because covenant is what God is concerned with, God has said, cause Jerusalem to recognize how they broke my covenant, how they've broken their vow with me. I've been faithful to them. I've been a faithful husband and they cheated on me. That's what God is saying. Look, we get all toe up when we in unfaithful relationships. You get, they got whole shows where people have private investigators following people around to see if they're cheating. It's funny to me how we understand the flesh like that, but we make no room to understand how we hurt God and how we wound him when his faithfulness, his covenant keeping faithfulness is perfect but we cheat, we have side chicks and side boyfriends, we have work wives and husbands. I mean, we oh my God. All before God, all before him, just prancing around like it ain't nothing. But this is what he says. This is what he says. He says here, he says, um, your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite and your mother was a Hittite. So listen, he's calling them to remember, right? I want you to remember. And as for your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt or wrapped in swaddling clothes. No, I pitied you to do any of these things for you. To have compassion on you, but you were thrown out into an open field when you were loathed on the day that you were born, whatever the situations were. And see, I want you to know God sees all, he knows all, he hears all, he's in everything. So while they're talking about this very descriptive um, place here, I want you to see that God is well aware in his life. He knows what's going on. He knows. And he says, and when I pass by you, but this is God. God is passing by, just like he passed by Moses. And he passed by and he saw what was happening. He saw it. And I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. So in your worst places, your worst places right now, he's saying live, live. I'm trying to, give me a minute, you guys. I'm so sorry. I'm gonna have to stop for one moment. Um, Give me one minute. I'm so, so very sorry. I am back. I'm so sorry about that. And so it says um, right here, and when I passed by and and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. I made you thrive like a plant in the field. So I'm not going to read all of this. You need to read it yourself because it takes so much time. I've taught on this so much at healing classes and, and different things like that over the years. But when you get down to the bottom line, I'm going to read verse 12. No, verse nine. He said, I washed you in water. I washed off the blood. I anointed you with oil. I clothed you in embroidered cloth and gave you sandals, badger skin. I clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments. I put bracelets on your wrists, a chain on your neck. I did. Your fame went out among the nations. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. He did all of this. And, you know, he's talking about the people Of Jerusalem, his chosen people. But then he goes on and he describes all the wrongs that were done. But you trusted in your own beauty. You chose other idols. You played the harlot because of your fame. You poured out your harlotry on everyone passing by who would have it. You took some of your garments and adorned multicolored high places for yourself and played the harlot on them. Such things should not happen. See this is this is why I'm sharing this with you because we love pointing the finger at everything everybody's done picking the worst sins you know we like calling out this and calling out that but this is the beautiful part about this in spite of everything that took place in spite of all the trouble that came all the people that died all the wars that went forth god never broke his covenant he was faithful and he is faithful to us now all these years later I mean over 4,000 years since Moses since over 2,000 since Christ I'm looking at this and I can tell you that Teresa would have thrown it in the towel a long time I probably wouldn't have made it to um, the first part, but here is God over and over and over again enacting His covenant, keeping His promises. We always say, "God, where are you?" when we're going through horrible times? Because we say that, I know I say it, I can't speak for you, but I say those things or have said those things sometimes because we want them to end we want them to be, we want that perfect life. We want nothing to hurt. We want everything to be easy, but listen, that's not a part of his covenant. He never promised any of that in his covenant. I hope that you're hearing me. His faithfulness is not predicated on you never having a problem. His faithfulness is only predicated on his covenant. The covenant of his word. That is the only promise God has guaranteed humanity. (laughs) That's it. Everything that lines up with that covenant. I promise to never leave you or forsake you. He keeps that. He wishes above all things that uh, that we prosper, even as our soul prospers. He wants the best for us. He doesn't want us to have pain. He doesn't want us to say, by his stripes, we are healed. See, we are healed. It may not be the way that we want but we are healed because he is a covenant-keeping God. Even if my body is wracked with pain, even if disease is on every side, his word is true because what he's keeping concerning you is his covenant. Oh, man, Some, I, I really hope I'm being heard. I really, he is faithful. God, I I I was fired and I lost my house. And yes, you did. But you promised me I was gonna have three houses, and but that wasn't a part of the covenant. And I and the stock market crashed and COVID came, and (laughs) those things are not eternal. God guarantees what is eternal. Everything else can happen or not happen. We can have it by faith. I'm not saying faith is not real. I am saying that if you declare to the mountain that the mountain be moved, it may or may not be moved, depending on what it is. Circumstances can change. Decisions can be made that shift the whole plan. But what is eternal does not move. Does not move. I'm moving on. I can be on that part all day. Um, I want you to see this. Uh, what is what? Why did I pull this scripture? Okay. So I think what's happening in second Corinthians, I talk about the Corinthian letters a lot, but we know the, per- the church was being persecuted. We know Paul was coming out of a lot of hardship. We know that um, the Corinthian church was divided and they were struggling. I mean, they were being hit hard. They were even struggling against Paul's leadership. They were struggling against um, different doctrines, trying to infiltrate the, ter- the the congregation, you know, mostly things like sur- just, just general stuff. So I want to share this part with you because I want to set the stage for this last little part that I hope will bless you in the life of God, because in God's life, he's looking at his faithfulness from his covenant. And we must understand that. And when we understand that, then we won't have these false expectations concerning everything else that happens around us. We'll understand that the Lord moves as he desires and that sometimes situations shifts and things don't work out the way we want, but not because God isn't faithful, but because those are not the absolutes. So I want us to know what is absolute. And the only thing that is absolute are are the things that God declared that were eternal. Everything else can shake and move in ways that don't often make sense to us. So here we are. So we know this passage of scripture. We say it all the time, but I'm gonna read it in context right now. It says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercy. There, there, there's that word again, and God of all comfort, all giving, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, In other words, Paul is simply talking about the persecution at this moment and that time that they were going through. So on our consolation, all abounds through Christ. One of the things I think is important for us to remember that if God wanted to fix everything and have us live a life that was without sorrow and suffering, truly he would have demonstrated that through the people that he called. So, so understanding this in the context I'm sharing, it gives us more insight on how Paul and the original apostles and um, the people were able to endure because truly, if we were counting on God to keep our promise about our husbands and, and that's coming around the corner, God promised me if, if those kinds of things are not the sure word of the covenant. There may be personal words he gave you, but if that person doesn't break and conform or if things don't happen, that may not come to pass, but it doesn't mean God is not faithful, right? So we're in 2 Corinthians 1, 2 Corinthians 1. Um, so for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. So that 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 what they're talking about is the persecution and the trouble that's ahead. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. In other words, what we're going through, you can learn from. And and this is what's happening. And we're doing it because it's necessary. We're willing to endure the risk. So this kind of risk is really about the persecution at the time. So that's why I wanted to read that, but I'm skipping now. But this is the part um, right here. So we know what's going on verse 15. And in this confidence, I intend to come to you. This is Paul's letter that you might have a second benefit to pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea. So he's, this is a letter and he's telling them about his plans, but this is the part that I want you to hear. He says in verse 17, therefore, when I was planning this meaning when he was planning his trip and planning to do the things that we previously read about. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Did I think about this haphazardly? Was this just a casual thought? Or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no. In other words, he's saying, look, am I, if I'm planning this myself, then I'm going to be in my flesh and I'm going to change my mind because see God's faithfulness concerning his covenant doesn't change. The Lord says many times in the scripture, I am God and I change not. He says, I am the same, the yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, his covenant doesn't shift. The promises that I've made my people are the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am, I am sure my covenant, I change not. So we have taken that whole passage of scripture out of context because he's talking about that level of faithfulness in his life where he is never going to renounce his covenant. He's never going to turn his back on us. He's never going to turn his back on the world. He's never, it's impossible for him to do so because he is a faithful God. But people are unfaithful. God is not. And here you have Paul in the midst of everything that's happening, that's making a profound statement that we can learn from because whoever God is and wherever God is, we are also because God wants us to be a faithful people, a faithful people to one another and a most of all a faithful people like him in his covenant. So Paul, looking at his calling, walking out his apostleship, understanding that this is the first time we're releasing the gospel of Jesus in the earth. These people never heard it before. They're trying to kill us. They're putting us in jail. We're doing something new, but we can't stop because 4,000 years from now, Teresa is going to come to the Lord. They don't know this, but God does. (laughs) 4,000 years from now, Diane is going to be born. You know, they don't, I mean, oh my God. But here he is. He said, therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I planned, Do I plan according to my flesh that with me there should be yes, yes, and a no, no? Because in other words, if I plan this with my flesh, I'm going to change my mind. I'm not going to be faithful to it at all. So I'm going to do this a different way, but as God is faithful, oh my God. Our word to you was not yes and no. In other words, because God is faithful, what I am teaching you is not about how I feel. One day, God said, I'm going to walk with you, Teresa. The next day, God said, I'm not. One day, I'm at this church. The next day, I'm not. God has said, I'm not like that. Paul is saying, I'm not like that because God is not like that. He's not not when it comes to his covenant for the son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me was not yes and no, but in him was yes. You know, we love making a mess at this passage of scripture for all the promises of God in him are yes. And in him, Amen. Not all the promises of God are yes and amen. No. It's for all the promises of God in him are yes. And in him, amen. Let me say that again. For all the promises of God in Jesus, in God are yes. And in him, amen to the glory of God through us. Oh my God, God's faithfulness is supposed to come through us. (laughs) Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us in God, who has also sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. This is going to throw out half the prophets right here. I'm sorry, but it is. Because they're not prophesying the promises of God. They're not prophesying things that can lean back into the promises of God. If God declares to you that he's going to give you wealth, and the prophetic word came from the prophet, the next question is, how is that wealth increasing the kingdom? Because when God prophesies something like that, it's going to benefit someone besides you. Didn't say God, didn't say those things. God said he was going to put me before a great man. Why? Have the prophet explain that to you. Why would he do that? Just so you can look at your haters and say, hmm, why? The promises of God are always about his covenant, nothing else. Let's read this in the Message Bible. I don't ever read this, but because I can't study it from it, it's not any other reason. It's just not a good place of study because I'm a study, study person not just a devotional person. So I see the message Bible as a devotional, not anything I can count on for hardcore study. But um, so in the message Bible, I want you to hear what Paul is saying. It's put very well. Are you now going to accuse me of flip-flopping with my promises because it didn't work out? (laughs) Do you think I talk out of both sides of my mouth? A glib yes one moment and a glib no the next. Well, you're wrong. I try to be as true to my word as God is to his. Our word to you wasn't a careless yes canceled by an indifferent no. How could it be when Silas and Timothy and I proclaimed the son of God among you? Did you pick up on any yes and no and on again and off again waffling? Wasn't it clean? Was it strong? Whatever God has promised gets stamped With the yes of Jesus. In him, this is what we preach and pray. The great am, amen. God's yes and our yes together. Gloriously evident. God affirms us. Making us a sure thing in Christ. Putting his yes within us. By his spirit. He has stamped us with his eternal pledge, a sure beginning of what he is destined to complete. The message Bible in this particular passage is so accurate because the only promises that God has guaranteed any of us are all rooted in his eternal plan. They're all rooted in what is eternal. What can't be shaken is that perfect will. All this other stuff is relative. It's conditional. It's dependent. There are some prophetic words some of you have received right now that are fully dependent on someone else's yes or no. If they obey God, that prophetic word will come to pass. If they don't obey God, it won't. And I don't mean what you think they should do in your head. I'm talking about what God has already said he's going to do. Let's say, for example, someone promises you a a job and you know that's God's will because it was prophesied, but they can change their mind, right? If they are going to obey God, it'll be yours. But sometimes people can do things that throw off the path that has nothing, it's not even your fault. This is why teachings like this are important because it's so, God doesn't want us angry at him when things don't happen the way we think they should be. We need to learn how to first be obedient. You make sure you lining up with everything he's told you to do. Many of us are mature in understanding prophetic things, but we don't even know what ministry is because we think it's the work of our hand. We don't know that the sacrifice is people. What are you sacrificing for somebody else? If your answer is nothing, then you, you all messed up. It's, ministry is people. It's not the school of the scribe. It's not the scribe of prophets group. It's not my classes. It's not the conference next week. It's none of that. But it's every soul that walks through that door. And it's always those that I'm looking that I'm like, God, I've already prayed. Who do you want to be with me? Identify them at the conference. Who will I walk together with and share life with? Identify them in the name of Jesus. I want to recognize Peter, James, and John. I want to recognize who is for me so we can do the formation, create the company, and go get more so that scribes can be all that they can be so we can fulfill our destiny and purpose in the earth. That is why I do those conferences. Not about the scribal anointing. And it should never be. It's about the scribe and the people being awakened so we can find out where we fit within our company, unite and become like the church at Corinth in its best day. God's faithfulness is not our faithfulness it's not. Yeah, I feel like doing this today. Tomorrow, I don't feel like doing that. I mean, my God, that's why I love the apostolic because the apostolic brings such clarity here. If you look at most people who claim they have a ministry, all they have is an LLC or an ink and no people. And all they do is run their mouth. And there's absolutely no investment in anyone. But for them, that's ministry. Not about how many people to have a ministry. Let's make that clear. We're in trouble. We're in trouble. But they want titles. to position themselves for places that they're not even leading in. People claim they want mentorship until you start correcting them. (laughs) Try correcting them. They don't want mentorship after that. (laughs) Well, I'ma go pray. Well, I am your prayer, answer. Listen. God is trying to get us to see his life. He's trying to get us to see the life that he lives. He's not living to give you gifts. He's not living to give us prophecies. He's living to draw men unto himself so that they may know that he is a faithful covenant keeper. Oh, my God. Father, I just thank you for the word today. I thank you for those who have been patient in listening and hearing and understanding. Father, you be elevated and all people, Lord, lay down before you and worship according to your word in Jesus name. We thank you for your life, God. We thank you for living your life through us. We thank you for causing us to live and breathe and have our being on the inside of you. Father, we thank you for immersive lifestyles in Jesus' name. Father, we ask that you cut out all the rot of religion, that you cut it out, dig it out in the name of Jesus, Lord God. And you plant in us truth concerning who you are and what you want, despite what we see. Father, we declare that we will not elevate people and brag about people and drop people at every turn, but we will drop you. We will say, I'm gonna give you Jesus. I'm gonna give you his intention. I'm gonna give you his heart. Lord, cause us to know that we are as valuable As anyone we come in contact with, no matter where they are, whether they are sitting in a presidential seat or walking or sitting on a queen's or king's throne, wherever they are, Lord, you don't see any of that. You just see sonship and you see a people who need a savior or you see a people who have a savior that you are raising up in your image and your likeness. Father, I thank you that we are aware of your intention concerning us every day. And we will make use of Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Every day, Holy Spirit, reveal yourself. Lord, I don't want you to be hidden in me. Convict, heal, deliver me out of, deliver me into the new and set free. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Thank you all for listening today.